Well, I'm excited to welcome you wherever you're making your connection with Christ's journey today. Uh, Kendall Campus, Gables Campus, across the nation, around the world, and we are praying that God's truth will bring you to a new step of freedom as Jesus promised. And I'd love to, I, I wanna ask you this question today as we begin. If you could pick any person, any character in the Old Testament story to spend some time with personally, who would it be? Now, this is an intriguing question because there are some high impact lives there. Like, would it be a monster leader? That's what you relate to, leading a huge organization, like Moses, you know, this tremendous impact leader. Would it be Deborah, an artist, warrior, judge? Great female leader, maybe that's where you'd like to get some sharpening for you. Would it be um, maybe the giant slayer, you know? Young adult, teenage David, taking on the giant and wanna hang out with him, find out how'd you do that, what'd you do? Maybe it'd be Esther, the beautiful, the courageous. How do you manage your resources in such a challenging time and place? Maybe it would be Solomon, you know, wealthy, Got lots going on. How did you do that? How do you have wisdom and wealth simultaneously and make it work? Where would you spend some time? Maybe the grief and the hardship or the heartache that you're experiencing right now, you could just like hang out with Job for a while. Like how do you walk through such a valley like this? How do you do it? Or maybe you like fishing, you know? Jonah would be a great place to spend some time with a big fish. For you, where would you, what would you do? You know, this is a hard question for me just to come up with one, but on my short list, Elijah would show up there. Elijah, I mean, powerful man of God. Elijah, spiritual warrior. Just before Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, God the Father takes him to the top of the Mount of Transfiguration, and guess who Jesus spends some time with personally? Moses and Elijah, Elijah. When Jesus has got his guys gathered around him one day, he says, who do men say that I am? And one of the answers is Elijah. <laughs> You're Elijah, this mighty preacher, powerful miracle worker, faithful warrior in the spiritual battle for the people in his nation and in his world, Elijah. So you hang out with Elijah, here's what you discover. His mind is sharp, he's an educated man, it would be an intelligent conversation. Um, his body is fit, he's in shape, he's a long distance runner, you read the story, you find that. Um, he is morally clean and spiritually devout. And when we first meet him, he just blasts onto the scene like full grown and full of passion. I mean, he is all in for God. If anybody is daring greatly, this guy is. I mean, his heart's lit up, his soul's on fire. He is a courageous spiritual warrior, which we immediately notice places him like in contrast to what's going on in his world. He's out of step with the worship of false gods, the moral dry rot, the spiritual decay, the social decay that's happening in the culture around him. And he's on the scene, in fact, to try to do something about that, try to help people see their spiritual need, which they're neglecting, through a natural environment, through the living parable of a natural environment, which means that God has empowered him to be able to stop the rain. And when the rain stops, that means that it's, the drought comes. 
uh, and the drought is for days on end, then weeks pass and weeks become months and months become years. And when there's no rain, then the crops kind of go away. And so now they're having famine, devastating the land. And so it's like a heads up to whoever's paying attention, you know, hey, Israel, you need to pay attention to God if you want to see your scenario change. But they don't. They prefer instead the worship of pagan fertility gods in their day, in their culture, which is ironic because the false gods that they are serving and literally they are dying for are the gods of rain and harvest. But it's been years and Elijah, true God's servant, shows up and exposes the fraud of the fraud gods. That's actually what's happened, but the people still don't listen. They don't wanna listen. Now God's law requires that they provide food and basic necessities for all of his prophets, but they don't do it for Elijah. They don't like what he's saying. Um, Instead, King Ahab and his wife Jezebel are blaming him for the problems that the nation is having. This is, this is all your fault, which is also ironic because Elijah happens to be suffering right along with the rest of the people, suffering from the drought, suffering from the famine, which by the way is uh, the ancient equivalent of a financial depression. You know what a depression, worse than a recession, everybody feels it and it's not good. That's what's happening in the nation at this time. And, uh, and yet, through it all, Elijah, spiritual warrior, he shows confidence in God, courage to risk, and then commitment to work. Three characteristics of a good soldier. You wanna know who endures hardship as a good soldier. What are the traits of a good warrior? Well, three, I can tell you right here. Confidence in your Lord, courage to put your life on the line, and then commitment to do your job by showing up for others. And listen, soldiers do this every day. You know, they put themselves in harm's way for the benefit of somebody else. And that's what Elijah is doing in the story, spiritual warrior. But when the people of Israel just do the Heisman on him, again, you know, they just stiff arm him, then God says this to Elijah. He sends him to a strange land, and that's where we pick up the story, 1 Kings 17, verse 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there'd been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon. Now, I don't know how the word of the Lord comes. Go at once to the, you know, Zarephath of Sidon. I don't know. But, but he sensed that God was telling him. And he said, I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow is there gathering sticks. And he called to her and he asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I can have a drink? And so as she was going to get, uh, to get the water, he called, oh, and please bring me a piece of bread. And she shouts back, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a little jar and a little bit of oil in a jug. In fact, I'm gathering a few sticks to take uh, to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. But first, 
make a small cake of bread for me from what you have, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on this land. Hmm. And then look at this, she went away and did it. She did what Elijah had said. And so there was food every day. That's what the story says. I don't know if you believe in that or not, but that's what the story says. There was food every day for Elijah, for the woman, and for her child. And and the, the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Now that's amazing to me. This is incredible to me. You know, maybe this is your first time you accepted an invitation to come on in or you're joining us online for the very first time and you're thinking, whoa, what a fairy tale. You know, how is that supposed to happen? That doesn't work. That's not what happened, right? So I just want to say to you, we can kind of relate to that. This is like, when do we ever hear about this? When does, this is amazing. If it's true. And the story unfolds in seven very telling scenes, maybe not so unfamiliar to you. First, it's an ungodly time in the land. I mean, people are rampant in rebellion against God. And uh, they've even tried to rebuild the ancient city of Jericho, which was the first pagan city to fall when they came into the promised land. So, I mean, they're way off track here. Secondly, uh, that it resulted in um, some very unwelcome circumstances, the ones that are at hand. This dry rot in culture um, is actually the result of uh, this drought. I mean, the, draft, the drought and the famine is the result of the dry rot in their spiritual culture. And God is just giving them a natural illustration to say, hey, this is what's going on inside if anybody's paying attention. There was sexual immorality, there was infidelity, there's violence, there's even child sacrifice being practiced in Israel at this time. It's a bad time. Scene three, an unlikely connection. Elijah sent by God to a pagan land? Wait, yeah, that's what happens. Actually, it was Jezebel's homeland. Did you know Jezebel's daddy was high priest in the temple of Baal? The fertility god Baal there in ancient Phoenicia, modern day Lebanon, that's where he got sent. And there he meets a widow, a single mom, because God had said, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell a widow to provide food for you. Okay, well scene four. If this single mom is that widow, then she is a very unseemly resource because she's got nothing. There's no barn There's no shelf cabinets full. There's no grocery store. There's nothing, you know? What she's got are a few sticks, a handful of flour, and a dab of oil. So it's inadequate, it's insufficient, and by the way, it's pagan, which means it's unclean. This is not, not, I don't think this is kosher. (laughs) Scene five, an unsettling request. What does Elijah say? Well, go ahead and make some for yourself, but first... Have a little my way. Let's bring a cake of bread. Does that bother you? It kind of bothers me. You know, I'm, I'm, it's kind of unsettling, actually, that a preacher, here a preacher would ask a poor single mom for this. It's in the story, still bothers me. Scene six, the, fa- the unfailing promise that the most high God of Israel promises this pagan woman, you're never gonna have less than enough. You go with me. And then this inexhaustible supply that will never run dry. Scene seven, the uncanny response. 
Did this happen? This is uncanny. The woman actually trusts God's promises. This pagan woman trusts this foreign preacher and risks her resources and then does the job asked of her to care for somebody else. Is that strange? Does that sound strange? Uncanny? And then God shows up in his mysterious and faithful way. He keeps his word. This is uncanny, right? Resonate with some parts of the story. Others just kind of go, wait. And so what's the lesson? Well, I heard this years ago when David Weidman's daddy, I was listening to him speak in a church as a college student, and I never forgot him saying these four words. And it surely speaks to this story, where God guides, God provides. That's, that's like the, the point of the whole topic here, the, the point of the whole text. Elijah learns that, the woman learns that, her son gets to see that. You know, her future is changed because God does that. And I think we're supposed to see that too. I think we're supposed to learn that too. Where God guides, God provides. Would you say that with me? Where God guides, God provides. Yeah, Elijah trusts God's word and he sent him first to Israel and then God says, oh, I want you to go to this pagan land. So God's, Elijah says, oh, are you guiding me? Okay, I'll go there. And then he, what he finds out when he gets there is that God is true even in a godless land. Wow. Out there in the world, God is still God. Yeah. And then the single mom, she trusts God's word from the prophet and she puts her little in the Lord's care and what does she discover? Oh, God does care. He cares about her, he cares about her child, he cares about her future, and he takes care of her in a very desperate, hard time because he cares. And I'm thinking these are spiritual war stories. You heard war stories? These are spiritual war stories. These are both spiritual warriors. Elijah, the woman, even her child. You know, they're fighting battles that they just can't win on their own. You ever felt like that? And yet enduring hardship, how? As good soldiers in the day of battle. And unleashing the power of what? Generosity. <laughs> now life's a battle, isn't it? Do you agree? Life's a battle. Sometimes it's a physical battle. All the time it's a, a spiritual battle. Life is a spiritual battle in a material world. And the abuse of human freedom has twisted and uh, into, twisted it into sin and rebellion and leaves the world, our culture, our lives parched and dry and thirsty and needy, right? Uh, and wreaks havoc in our lives. But here's the point of the story. God doesn't forsake us in the famine. Even when the twistedness leaves us that way, God does not forsake us. Instead, what does he do? He uses the famine, the hardship, the difficulty as a teaching tool to show what? To show his power in his world and to develop daring greatly warriors. Want to be a spiritual warrior? Here's boot camp. Actually, it's not boot camp. This is a real thing. This is a real thing. This is where warriors are developed. And that's what the, daily, the Daring Greatly Initiative is. This is an opportunity to uh, be a risk taker for responding to God's call for somebody else's benefit. 
see it all through the story. And then what do you learn? Well, as a result, you learn as a daring greatly warrior that God guides and provides. Where God guides, God provides. So this is why we're asking every Christ journeyer, if you're a member here, if you're an attender here, if you claim Christ's journey as your church, then here's the place where you, you know, hold your breath, swallow deeply, don't look at anybody else. But I'm saying we're calling upon every Christ journey participant to lead in seeking God's wisdom and then follow as he shows you what to do. In addition to your usual contribution, we're asking you to ask God, what would he have you do in giving beyond and above so that we could upgrade our three campuses, the communication technology on all three of our campuses, and then also prepare what it would take to expand our outreach on yet another multi-site campus. And that's what the outcomes are going to be. And uh, that next physical site, at God, as God would open the door so that even more can find and follow Christ with us. What we're doing as spiritual warriors is trying to establish a new spiritual beachhead in our desperate time in our world. And you know what? God wants to use you to do that. Now, chances are you did not come in here this morning saying, I think that's what God wants me to do. You may have not even thought about doing anything like this, being a spiritual warrior in a desperate day. I think it probably goes without saying that Elijah, when God called him to go to a pagan land, that thought had not entered his mind before. No, he was supposed to be serving Israel, but God said, no, I want you over here. And he said, well, if you're guiding, then I, I guess you'll be providing. And the widow surely didn't think about giving her last flower and oil to a servant of God. And you may be thinking this, you know, I don't have two sticks to rub together, Bill. You know, I don't, I don't, I've got nothing. Well, literally she didn't either. And yet here's the thing. God wanted her story woven into his story. And then it put, he put it in his Bible. Is that amazing? It is to me. And here's the truth. God wants your story woven into his story as well. Now you're not gonna make the Bible, right? That book's done. But did you know the Bible says God is still writing books on the other side of eternity? And that's where spiritual war stories show up for the rewards yet to come. So if you're like me, then you're thinking, okay, that's great. Heaven someday, I wanna go. Yeah, I'd like to be there. <laughs> but you know what? I'm in the battlefield right now. And what about now? If you're asking for a two-year commitment, which yes, that's what we're doing, in addition to what I'm already giving, yeah, that's what we're doing. Um, what if there's a famine? What if there's a recession, a depression? Well, we've lived through those, haven't we? And yet, here's what I think the Lord is wanting me to tell you. The God who guides your giving will provide for your living. That's where this story hits where we live. Where God guides, God provides. And he's inviting us, I truly sense this in my heart, to join that ride. What ride? The ride where we let God drive and then we get on and let him personally show you how to live larger than your circumstance, larger than your fear, and larger than yourself. That's the ride.
the daring greatly ride that spiritual warriors take. This is where you learn how to live in God's largesse and, uh, and see, let him prove himself to be bigger than your plans, bigger than the economy. Let's let God show up and show himself faithful. Now, I cannot tell you how he's gonna do that. But I can tell you this. I've experienced it myself. Lisa and I have been through three major giving initiatives, three major generosity initiatives in the 23 years that we've pastored here. And uh, every time I can tell you that God has stretched us to give beyond and in addition to what we, were, we thought we were able to do. I mean, it's making my palms sweaty just to tell you, thinking about that coming to that edge and then daring. And, um, and I have to tell you, it's happened again. The number that she and I have been praying about and thinking about, and the number we first talked about, is actually, at this time, half of what we believe God is leading us to give. And no, I'm not gonna tell you what the number is, but I'm gonna tell you that it makes my palms sweaty to think about it. Because it's a daring, greatly all-in kind of commitment that we are making in response to God's call. But here's what I can also tell you, because I'm not the only one who participated in those initiatives. Because many of us did, right now there is a campus in Kindle where hundreds of people are finding and following Jesus Christ. Right now. They're joining us right now. Right now, around the world, Google Analytics tells us we have people from every nation and every territory that are connecting with us through church online. And it's happened because of the generous gifts that not just I made, but other people stepped up as warriors to say, we're gonna put a new beachhead out there. And then watch what God does. And at the Gables campus, because of the upgrades we've done to make the campus facilitate us for today's needs, every one of the lights with a name on it that you see on our physical campus crosses are people who have come to Jesus Christ since the time that we've made our upgrades. In fact, if you were not here for the last giving initiative, you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, you know what, you're the beneficiary of our gifts. Now, I'm not saying that to make you feel bad or guilty. I'm saying we're thrilled about it. <laughs> this is answer to our prayers. Every one of those lights where Christ has come alive in somebody's life is saying, that's your gift at work. And so I'm excited about that continuing. But let me get back to um, our personal story. At the time, one of those giving, major giving initiatives, our, both of our daughters were at college age, and we we're trying to think, okay, <laughs> how do we make this step? to say yes to what God was inviting us to do. Well, fast forward to the other side of that. Did you know that both of my daughters, undergraduate work, scholarshiped. My oldest daughter, postgraduate work, master's degree, Princeton University, full scholarship, to the point that on the other side of that, um, the people that live in the White House where our family resides have absolutely zero school debt and educated children. So I wanna give glory to God for showing up in a time of famine to say, oh, I got that. If you step out, then I'll step up and you'll see me work. And say, you say, I don't see how that's gonna work, Bill. Well, let me tell you this, we didn't either until it worked. And now I can tell you a story that happened to us. This is when it happened to us. 
And God taught us how to grow as spiritual warriors who dare greatly in the day, in the desperate day of famine, when challenges before you. And they learn, here's how God develops spiritual warriors. He tries, he teaches them first how to live above sea level. You gotta live by faith, not by sight. And you learn how to trust the God who is above you to rise to the next level of above and beyond living. And then you get to see God at work, like Elijah did, like the woman did, like her kid did. (laughs) He got to see, wow, mom, how did that happen? Right, but that's what happened. And did you know that Jesus mentions this woman when he starts his ministry in Galilee? He says, you know, there are lots of widows in Israel, but let me tell you, remember that woman that was from the pagan land? She's the one that God chose. Oh yeah, the worldly woman. The worldly woman from over there that, that uh, was, yeah. And the needy woman, she didn't have anything. Yeah, remember her? Well, she's the one that God chose to use to feed his man and fuel his mission as Jesus is starting his mission and declaring his faith in the God who provides. And why am I bringing that up? Because you may feel, if you're like me, you may feel like your circumstances, your past, your situation in life has somehow distanced you or disqualified you from God's plan and God's blessing. That what has happened to you means that God can't use you. He must be talking about somebody else. And the answer to that is that's, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. I mean, you can, you can be too big for God to use, but you can't be too small. There's room in his plan for every person who says, I want in. I want to let God use me. And so he can use you as a spiritual warrior. It doesn't matter what's happened, where you're from, how much you make. God can use you as a spiritual warrior risk taker to help others. I was talking with uh, one of our Christ Journey couples not too long ago, they came to the office because they wanted to pray about their daring greatly gift. And as we were talking, his wife said, you know, when, when we first got together, he was a three time a year attender at church. You know, there's Christmas, Easter, and Mother's Day, right? That's it. And, um, and then he chimed in. He said, yeah, and my, my mom, you know, she, she would go down to that church. And I, I challenged her one day, why are you giving money to that church? She's a secretary on a limited income. And, and he said, she immediately and adamantly responded. Well, do you know what that church does for kids, for teenagers? Do you know what that church does in family support? Do you know what that church does in missions and in outreach? Do you know what that church? And so he told me, he said, you know, so I just kind of, okay, whatever. Well, she died five years ago. And now this couple, he said, you know, we come every week. We're here every Sunday. Actually, I spoke to him right after the 9.30 today. He said, we're here every Sunday. And Jesus has become so real to me. He's been baptized. He and his wife dedicated themselves on behalf of their child and said, he loves it here. We do too. And then he says, and we're giving. He said, we're regular givers and, and above our regular gifts. It's like, how does that happen? That's what he's looking at me, like this uncanny look. And then he says this, and she joins in. He says, um, this is the first time we have ever been invited to help build a new church. And then she said, we have never been asked to be part of something so special before. And so they're talking to me and I'm listening and I think it was the Lord saying to me, Bill, why wouldn't you want everybody to have a chance to feel like they're a part of what I'm doing in my church? Because his mother's gifts were making it happen 
and now his gifts are making it happen. And so I'm supposed to tell you, your gifts can make it happen. And God will multiply those gifts and lives will change. So here's the thing. I don't know what amount the Lord is going to lead you to give, but here's what I know. The impact of that gift will far outweigh its amounts and will outlast its distance. Imagine people who give so others can live. That's what we're doing here. Imagine people who put God first so others can have their first taste of grace. That's what those lights represent. Imagine, imagine you giving a little and watching God turn it into a lot. Imagine, imagine others being brought into God's plenty because you were part of building the bridge that they could walk across to get to him. That's the motivation that has stirred in the hearts of Angel and Heather Almaguer our point leaders from the congregation who are leading this initiative, and here's what they have to say about it. Hi, my name is Angel Almaguer. This is my wife, Heather. And we have two girls, Ella, that is 14, and Lily, that is 11. And we've got the privilege of being the lead couple or the chair couple for the Darren Greatly campaign, working with a great group of our Christian brothers and sisters who are helping along on this journey. My favorite day of the week is Sunday. I love to come to church and just get filled. And I take that with me for the rest of the week and I don't want to be that person that just takes. So I decided a long time ago and it became more evident once we had children that I gotta give back. So I like to try to be a very active member in the church so that when I come and get my cup filled on Sunday, I like to to give back and with this campaign I really want to pay it forward so somebody else can come and sit next to me and get their cup filled. Our church's purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus Christ and being a part of that gets us really excited because that's the beginning of a life-changing event. When somebody raises their hand at church they're declaring that it's not about me it's about you Lord and that means so much more for the rest of their life that's that's their eternal salvation. And that's something to get excited about. That's something that matters. That's something that you can be a part of. And you may not know that person. They may be at another campus, at another location, but you're still a part of that because you're a part of this church. I think God asks us, He's never gonna ask us to do more than, we, than we're capable of doing. We just might not know that we're capable until we have the opportunity to do that, until we have the opportunity to stretch ourselves. And I, if I look at our life, if I look at my individual self, um, any time that I've felt that I've been taking a risk, uh, there is always apprehension, there's fear, there's concern, but he's always there to calm those fears and to sort of soothe the concerns over. And he's just proven faithful every single time. And I know I personally always I have to get the same message over and over because we're all a little hard-headed. I think I might be, she might agree I'm a little bit hard-headed than most. But understanding that he reinforces that message. And I always find myself thinking, why do I keep having that hesitation? Because he's always proven himself faithful. He's always been there. He's never let us down, uh, no matter how far we stretch, whether it's financial, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, he's always been there to back us up. For us, we've really prayed about what God wants us to do as it relates to this campaign. This campaign's all about a very clear focus, which is opening this next location. 
recreating what we've taken in Kendall. We saw that start out and grow to what it is today. We want to duplicate that. And we know how to do it because we got the success in Kendall to prove it. And we have the team, the processes in place to be sure that everything that we raise goes to that end. And I'm completely confident that God's got your part in mind for this project. One of the things that's really great about Christ's journey at this time is that we're really impacting people's lives at all levels. It starts with single couples that are coming in, married couples, families, seniors across the spectrum. We're really, and we've seen it in our own walk, we've seen it with people that we've invited to come here that really experience significant life change. And if we can be part of that, if we can be part of creating another on-ramp, another avenue, another location for people to experience what we have here, that really gets us excited. And we're not doing it because we want them to know us. We're doing it because we want them to experience Christ the way we've experienced Christ at Christ's journey. You know, what's ironic is that the day that Angel and Heather accepted our invitation to take lead on this, uh, Angel was laid off. And that could be scary, a little drought time, can't it? A little famine. And you know what his response was? Well, I think I'll have enough time to do it. <laughs> and But I got to tell you this. You fast forward now. I mean, weeks became months, and now months have developed this opportunity. If you talk to Angel now, he could tell you about getting a different job with better pay and closer to home, which it sounds like God showed up in the day of famine. And I also wanted to say this, it's not a bad thing to have an angel leading the initiative, is it? It's like, actually, Angel and Heather are right here. Would you wave at them? Amen. Like for, maybe your middle name could be of the Lord, you know? Angel of the Lord, Almaguer, that's a good name. Um, so there was this guy, he was stumbling across the desert, almost dying of thirst. And he comes across this well. And uh, as he gets closer to the well, what he thought was a well, he sees a can and he picks up the can. There's a note in the can and he reads the note. It says, dear friend, there is enough water in this well, enough for all. Um, but the leather washer gets dried out. And so you, you have to prime the pump. Now, if you'll just look a little bit to the west of the well, you'll see a rock and under that rock, there's a jar that has water in it, it's corked. Please don't drink the water. Uh, what you've got to do is take that bottle of water, uncork it, and pour the first half slowly into the well. This will loosen up the leather washer. Then pour the second half very fast, and then pump like crazy. You will get water. The well has never run dry. Have faith. And then when you get done, the note continued. It said, don't forget to put the note back in the can and fill up the bottle and put a cork in it, put it back onto the rock for the thirsty people that'll be coming later. Have fun. Good luck, your friend, Desert Pete, signed. So what do you do? I mean, serious, what do you do? Uh, the bottle may quench your thirst, but it's not gonna save your life. So what do you do? Do you take the risk? What risk? Well, there's three steps to the risk. You trust the note, the words of the note that you just saw in the can. Then you pour out the water. You risk pouring out the only water you're sure of into the well. 
and then you work. <laughs> it's like you pump like crazy and then you follow the instructions to be sure and think about thirsty people that are coming next. Hey, wait a minute. That sounds like spiritual warrior stuff to me. Didn't we hear about that somewhere? Oh yeah, a little bit earlier in the talk. Spiritual warriors, what do they show? Confidence in your Lord. How do you do that? Trust his word. Here's the note in the can right here. And what do spiritual warriors do? They have the courage to put their lives on the line. How do you do that? You pour out the water, right? You risk your water. And then there's a commitment to do the work. You do your job by showing up for somebody else, which is what Elijah, the woman, it's what daring greatly does. It allows you to, uh, it allows you to be the one God uses to help the one God is reaching. And that's the Daring Greatly initiative. Now you may feel like you're underdeveloped, like you don't have anything to give. I, I get that, but here's the point of the story. If you trust God, he'll show up for you. You'll have a whole other story and probably more than you thought you had. If you're wanting me to tell you what to do, I'm not, I can't do that. If you're wanting me to tell you exactly what to do, I can't do that. Here's what I can tell you to do, ask God. Because the promise is here, where God guides, then God provides. So what I can do is just say, ask him. He knows what he wants you to do. And then let him talk to you. And then as he tells you, and you're saying, well, but I'm married. Okay, so am I. <laughs> Makes for interesting conversations, doesn't it? What is God saying to you? What is God saying to you? Well, um, <laughs> And then as you're praying about it and you're thinking about it, then you're asking God to show you, then ask him to confirm. Ask him to give you a verse. Ask him to give you a sign. Ask him to make it clear. Ask God for an amount. How much water exactly, Lord, should I pour down this well? And then when he shows you, then don't ignore it. Do what he says and see what he does. Now we've been drawing water, we've been drinking from the well of salvation for a while, and now it's our turn in our sacred history here to prime the pump for those that are coming later. Um, so the invitation is let God use you to find your place in his story. Now in the Elijah story, here's what we saw. It was an ungodly time, unwelcome circumstance, unlikely connection, unseemly resource, unsettling request. Maybe you feel a little unsettled today. I relate to that. Maybe you're saying, you know, Bill, you realize how hard it is in our world? Yeah, I'm living in it. Same world. You know, I got stuff going on in my life right now that's kind of got me, uh, you know, concerned. Yeah, I can relate to that too. Then why are you asking me? Wouldn't somebody else be better? <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to make ends meet so I can take care of our own needs. How could you ask for this? See, I've asked myself that question. How could I? Well, because of the next two situations, God's unfailing promise and God's uncanny response. And the fact that here's what happens for me, the undoing of my excuses can mean the unleashing of God's resources. Has that ever happened to you? You know what I would love to see happen for every person who's connected to Christ's journey in your spiritual life when it comes to the monster of materialism and the blessing of generosity, I would love for you to see that the undoing of your excuses can lead to the unleashing of God's resources. And then what you're gonna discover is that this is more than a story in an old book. This is more than a story some preacher's telling you. You're gonna have your own story. And the lesson will be this. Hey, 
And you tell your kids and their kids someday, where God guides, God provides. Can I tell you about the time? Pray with me. Into your hands, Lord, we commit these words, this campaign, this initiative. We're so grateful that your hands have scars in them that testify to your generosity toward us, that you laid it all on the line, that you are the great spiritual warrior who established the beachhead of salvation so that each and every human being can know of your love and sense and feel your presence and your provision. We also thank you for those who've come before us and whose giving has given us this opportunity today that you are blessing to our hearing. And we pray now that you will, for people in financial straits and difficult situations, that you'll show up powerfully for them, but you'll also increase their spiritual sensitivity to hear your voice and to know what you're leading them to do as well. And maybe you're here feeling like, I'm just so thirsty, I'm just so dry. I'm living in a hard place and the world has not treated me right. Well, can I say to you, Jesus is the living water that can irrigate your soul. Jesus is the living bread that can feed your hungry heart. And Jesus is the oil of gladness that God can pour into your life for healing. And the first step is a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, forgive my sins. Come into my life. Fill me with the gift of your salvation. And as I turn from my way to your way, lead me to walk in your will. If you prayed that prayer with me and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, then I want to simply ask you to raise your hand and keep it raised for a moment till I get to see where everybody is. If you're joining us online, just click that orange banner right there in front of you. And uh, thank you toward the back and my left on the aisle, uh, right here in the front. God bless you, sir. To my left again, and then right on the aisle to my left. God bless you, sir. I see another hand in the dark to my left. And right here in the center section, toward the back, toward the right, God bless you, sir. Anyone else over here to my right? God bless you. We're praying for each of these new brothers and sisters right now, aren't we? Lord Jesus, we thank you for those who by uplifted hand have symbolized an open heart and receiving the gift of your salvation. So now we pray that the taste of your living water will fill their soul and that they will know the security of being well-loved by you as they have trusted you and now follow you as we make our prayer in your name. Amen. <laughs>